Welcome to Rasa Stand, hosted by Flo. I give you history, political views, and current affairs to deal with La Raza. When I speak about the Raza, I'm talking about the brown, Spanish-speaking community. We are not monolithic. Therefore, you're going to hear a variety of different people speaking about different subjects. It is important to share our story. I'm the combination of book smart and street smart. And when I speak on something, I give you critical sources. Tune in. Cross the stand. Take a stand to understand. Cuba de Raza Standards, this is Flo once again with another topic, another video. This one again, very interesting. As we cover independence today, we're, we're, some of us are probably celebrating independence, some of us are probably saying F America, whatever whatever you're doing today, 4th of July, uh, since it is Independence Day, we are going to be talking about an independent situation regarding the Americas, the first free village of the Americas, and this predates the United States. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Like many parts of the Americas, Mexico, or what it was called back then, New Spain, was not any different than the rest of the Americas. They also had slavery. From 1521 to about 1639, New Spain received uh, about half of all imported slaves entering the West Indies. If you wanted to have an exact number, it was 110,525 African slaves between this time. But overall, uh, they received about 200,000 slaves throughout the entire colonial era. <clears throat> and this slowed down because the Portuguese seized the trade to Spanish America. And because of all the importation of uh, African slaves, by 1810, free blacks actually made up 10% of the total population in New Spain, or what is now Mexico. So here, during this time period, Gasparianga, who was a slave, who we'll, we'll be talking about today, experiences. But Gasparianga was born in 1545 in what is now Central West Africa. And he was special because he was somebody who descended from the Bram people and he was uh, a prince. So he was going to be a king if not, if he wasn't captured. So sometime between 1545 and 1570, he was captured and he was forced to work in the sugar plantations of Veracruz. And slavery in Spanish America was just as brutal as anywhere else in the Americas, especially for fugitive slaves. Some of these consequences uh, for running away included severe whippings, tying a 12-pound iron chains to their feet, which they had to keep for four, up to four months. And to discourage runaways, uh, conspirers were killed with their heads posted on a stake. So as you can tell, this was really, really brutal for people who were enslaved in New Spain, and anybody who tried to do anything about that was immediately met with consequences. Of course, because Yanga was a prince and because he was used to being free, this is not something he was going to just take and 
deal with, right? So in 1570, Yanga and several hundred slaves decided to run away from the sugar plantation and actually created their own communities deep in the mountains of Pico de Orizaba. And here they were actually very successful in the sense that they were able to grow and farm and they had livestock that they raised. For about 30 years, they were undisturbed. So the Spanish knew that they had runaway slaves, but they had gone so far into the mountains that they didn't really go after them. And in this community, although the majority of them were runaway slaves or African people or black people, you did have some people of native ancestry or mestizo uh, ancestry as well. They were actually welcome as well. So these people were called Cimarrones, those who established these free communities outside the city. And what they would do to sustain these communities, the the African slaves who had run away, they would actually ambush and raid Spanish caravans that were coming from the city of Veracruz to Mexico City. So they would just get in the way and just steal whatever they could in order to sustain their community, obviously, right? And obviously because the Spanish were affected by this, they tried to put a stop to it. Specifically, Hacienda owners, uh, owners of slaves, began to put pressure on the government to call for military action to stop this. Because they saw this not only as annoying, but also as a threat to uh, Spanish society. So in 1609, uh, the Spanish actually did go and attack the Palenque that uh, Gaspar Yanga and his followers had created, and he actually burned it to the ground. However, Yanga and his followers were not actually captured. They actually got to run away and left to a different place in the um, uh, free space. So despite all this, the Spanish could not, like I said, they could not uh, subdue Yanga and his community. They had a chance to get away, and this obviously angered them, and they wanted to seek revenge. So under the leadership of another African, enslaved African who uh, escaped, um, his name was Francisco de la Matiza, the Spanish were actually defeated and were forced to retreat after numerous attacks. And the way this was done was because La Matiza actually intensified the violence and he attacked any Spaniard that he, that he came across or any free person that had any, kind, had any kind of goods to support his community. So the Spanish were embarrassed by this because they, they felt like they were, they should have won this. Obviously, they had more weapons. They had a lot more things to be able to subdue the former slaves, but they could not do it, and they were forced to negotiate a truce. And this was, you know, something that nobody would have thought about doing in the 17th century, 1600s. And again, this is 1609 when this took place. So by about uh, the early 1610s, uh, 11s, the former slaves, again, like I said, dictated the items in this truce because they had one, right? It made sense. So some of these things that they dictated were one that is that any African slave or any enslaved African who had escaped from haciendas or plantations or whatever, 
before 1609, specifically in September, would be able to remain in the Palenques. However, those who had escaped after September would have to return to their owners. So Yanga and his followers did agree to this, right? In hindsight, you might think, well, that's pretty messed up considering that they were probably going through the same thing. But I would imagine that Yanga probably thought about this and understood that if he didn't do this and he was going to face more pressure. But ultimately, I think what also probably caused him to do this was the fact that those who were there for so long and contributed to the community who fought for it should deserve to stay there. And those who did not probably had no right to it, right? And he also uh, demanded that the chief must be a warrior, like I said, and most likely probably a former black slave. And he specifically said he did not want a mestizo or a criollo chief, even though there were mestizos and natives in his community. Probably not, not too many, but that's what he, that's what he uh, proposed. And again, that makes sense because most of the people here were African or black slaves. He did not want Spaniards to live in his community, understandably so, but he was willing to trade with them. So whenever they had trading, they was, he, was, he would allow this to take place. And he, would wa- he wanted to be the first governor, and after him, his descendants should be able to rule is what he proposed, right? And even though they did agree to returning former slaves or those who escaped into his palenque, he basically said that he would do that only if he was paid to return them or uh, if he was allowed to purchase them. If they didn't want to return, that he could purchase the, the slaves if that was possible, right? And he demanded that town be built near a river for obvious reasons. It would be easier for him to be able to continue to build this community. And he wanted to live freely, obviously, like other communities, like other native and mulatto communities. And he also did not want to have friars and Franciscans and other ministers come into his community to minister for many reasons. And lastly, he was willing to protect the crown if needed to. So as you celebrate Independence Day today, think about that, that the first independent village of the Americas was not here in the United States. It was actually in Mexico, New Spain, Veracruz to be exact, 1611. Way more than 100 years before 1776. So on that note, this is Flo, Stan. Take Stan to understand. Love.